Welcome to Pensive Series. Maxine Ryan is the co-founder of BitSpark, the world's first cash-in, cash-out blockchain remittance platform for money transfer operators and individuals to send Asia-wide. Her startup has won international awards for its innovation and payments and is redeemed as one of the pioneers of the Bitcoin blockchain remittance space. Maxine is an advocate for blockchain technology, having consulted and strategized with Fortune 500 companies, telcos, and startups in the use case of this game-changing technology. She's also an international speaker on the topic, as well as a mentor to financial technology startups. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Hong Kong for the majority of my life, but around the age of eight, uh, until I was 14, I moved to a small town called Grafton in Australia. And this tiny little town is completely opposite to anything that you'd expect in Hong Kong. So as an eight-year-old and not speaking a word of English, it was just kind of a bit of a shock to the system. But um, I really enjoyed my time there because you really get to have a childhood, whereas in Hong Kong, I feel as though you just kind of grow up really quickly. But yeah, now I'm back in Hong Kong running a business here and um, I go back to Australia frequently so I'd probably say that I have two homes that I've kind of gone in between. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So like how, how was your time in Australia and then how did you move back um, back to Hong Kong? So my time in Australia was interesting just because I went to live with my grandparents at that time and as I said I didn't speak any English and I was in a very I guess, hillbilly town. Um, and it was just kind of a real change of environment for me. So I feel as though at that point it was really scary as a young child to be put in that situation. But there's just so much enjoyment that I got out of that. You know, I was able to learn horse riding. I went to a really rural school. Um, so different than Hong Kong. Yeah, exactly. So I got to experience two extremely different types of life and be able to appreciate and gain skills in those areas and I mean I wouldn't change it for anything else certainly but um, it was definitely a challenging time in my life I think especially as I had to learn English at that point so I think I learned to read and write English um, in about two and a half years which is really quickly and now whenever I speak to anybody they don't realize it's actually my second language so it just kind of goes to show when you're really young and you're put in situations, you're actually more resilient than you would expect. Yeah, absolutely. So then did you go to high school in, in Hong Kong? Um, yes, I did. So after I went to, after Australia, went back here, went to high school here, um, it was pretty uneventful seeing as I was incredibly bad at school. Um, I was actually kicked out of one of them for having really bad grades and luckily another school accepted me um, and I guess that school was just a little bit more accepting of children or like kids who are a bit different yeah. and um, I also almost failed <laughs> my, my last exams there um, but yeah uh, high school was an interesting time just because I was always seen as the kid that would never really do anything but now when I look back at it it was just because I wasn't interested yeah then, so then how did you think about your future when you, when you finished high school? Oh, man, my future was so bleak. Um, 
just because that's what the teachers were telling me. They're like, look, if you don't get your grades up, you're going to fail. You know, the state of your grades mean you could probably just be a florist or like a mortician or something like that. Like that was like how they I know, it's horrible. Me. The teachers, the, the, yeah. the power they have over you when you're young, you know? Exactly. And they really kind of tell you, you know, what you're doing now or the feeling that they gave me was what I was doing then was exactly what I was going to be for the rest of my life. And of course, that's complete crap. <laughs> um, so my identity in high school was absolutely different to who I am now. And I feel like it's just so important for children to know, like I've got a brother and sister and they're going through the traditional school system here. And just the amount of pressure that they're under, I always want to remind them that it's just a point in your life and it doesn't define you, like it doesn't define you as a person later on. Like that is just such an important, I guess, piece of knowledge that children really need to like get in, like internalize. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then what did you do after high school? Uh, after high school, I luckily got accepted into a university called the ANU, which is Australian National University in Canberra, which is where I returned back to Australia. And I was studying a, uh, a double degree in international relations and law. Um, and I mean, I think I picked that subject because I felt as though if I... Oh, actually, let me just go back yeah. a little bit. I actually did a semester in nursing. <laughs> um, so I was, <laughs> uh, basically what happened was I think I was taking about six months off and I'd moved to Australia and um, I was listening to like BBC or something like that and some story about some diseased country or something like that. I don't know. I just got really <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to help people. I'm going to start nursing school. So I started started nursing for about a year and I just realized that if this is how I want to help the world, it's definitely not the way to go. Um, and that was primarily because I felt as though people who were being hospitalized, at least at the area that I was, were because of self-inflicted illnesses. You know, it was drinking or smoking or something like that. So I was like, okay, this isn't the way to go. Um, but I had good enough grades to get into ANU, which is where I started studying law and international relations. And um, I wasn't that interested in that either, but it just seemed like a smart thing to do. And especially because I had no idea what I, could, what I wanted to do with my life at that point either. So, yeah, I just kind of took the plunge. <laughs> and um, anyway, that's actually how I got to where I am now, because during that time, I was looking for a place to stay on Gumtree. Um, it was just basically student housing. And... I saw this ad and I visited this house and the owner of that house is actually my business partner now. So it was a complete whim um, and a stroke of luck that I met my business partner because when he was renting his room and I rented it the first week, he started telling me about this crazy thing called Bitcoin and the blockchain and it's like magical powers. And I was just hooked. <laughs> and my degree was about four years and I was six months off graduating, I quit and we devised what we're doing now and I've been doing that for almost two years now. So I just left my degree because it wasn't for me even though I had six months to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, was there like any, any other formative experiences or experience when you grew up that sort of now like when you look back it like sh shaped sort of who you are? 
Do you want to describe a little bit about? Yeah, no, it? just just yeah. anything sort of like a turning point. I mean, you, you mentioned high school, and so then how you were able to like um, build a new identity. Was there was there anything else when you look back that sort of um, you know made you stronger or shaped your character? I, yeah, actually, I think what probably shaped me the most was having zero self confidence because it was just beaten out of me in school, and. I guess my whole journey so far has kind of been like a defiance to that in some respects, if I really had to like look into it. Um, but I think that was pretty much it. It was this like constant cycle of people telling me that I couldn't do anything because I wasn't smart enough or whatever the reason. And I think it really just comes down to anybody can do anything just as long as they're wholeheartedly and genuinely interested in it. Yeah. You know, I never thought that I would be interested in cryptocurrency remittances and, you know, making it my mission to ensure, you know, cheaper remittances worldwide. But for some reason, that just makes me excited. And it's really about finding what makes you excited and just pursuing it with all your heart. Right. So then you met uh, your co-founder now, um, like in a very serendipitous way, like how, how did yeah. it go? How did it go from there? He was just like, okay, like you want to join the team, or how did how did that happen? Yeah, he um, basically. How did that start? It was such a long time ago. He. Oh yeah, yeah. So he had his normal job, but I was kind of seeing that he had something else going on the side, and at that point, he was doing mining or something like that. And he was like, you know, I really think that there's something amazing here and I was like I think you're right and he was like you know I've always wanted to like leave my job and do something um and maybe Hong Kong's a good option and I guess at that point we just kind of devised an opportunity together to be able to build what it was now and actually our product now which is a remittance platform was completely different to our original idea um which was a exchange cryptocurrency exchange and it was really funny looking back at our plans back then because our plans were so big. You know, we were going to be ex um, an exchange, we are going to do remittances, we are going to do a marketplace, all this stuff that we actually see in the space right now. Um, but obviously being like the naive little kids that we were <laughs> at that time, we didn't realize like the amount of work it goes into really making a project the best that it can be. And that's how we've kind of specialized in our space right now. Um, when we were a exchange, we just found that we were just one in a million. There were so many exchanges popping up every single week, um, new startups attempting this. And we decided that we could really differentiate ourselves from the space by going with our second idea, which was the remittances. And that's how we became the first, um, first in the world to do cash in, cash out blockchain remittances. And um, yeah, we still do that. So there's a lot of people in the space right now that do Bitcoin remittances, but it's just cash out. We ensure that we do the full circle. Um, and yeah, it's been a really incredible journey, especially when you learn about the remittance space itself and how it's so monopolized. Yeah. Maybe can you explain a little bit um, sort of how it used to work without blockchain technology and how sort of your startup and, and that innovation is making it better? Because when we were in exchange or now? Well, no, now, I guess, because there's so many. I think blockchain is, is very complicated to understand for a lot of people. So 
um, you know, what you're doing is awesome, but I, w I would like you to like, like help other people understand like exactly where the innovation is and how people used to, uh, you know, do this like before any, any blockchain technology arrived. Yeah, sure. So basically how it works is that traditional, I'll, I'll do a comparison. Yeah. Right? So traditional remittances, the reason why it can be so expensive is because of the overheads and operational costs that um, traditional platforms such as Western Union have to have. So, for example, they have their offices all around the world. Um, they also have to acquire a lot of cost when it comes to their FX trading. So, for example, they will accumulate a whole bunch of money in, let's just say, the States, and then they have to wait for um, the FX market to be perfect for them to then send it, let's just say, to China. Um, and you can't always ensure that the FX market is to your liking, right? So, of course, there's a lot of cost. Yeah. Yeah. And what that can do is to, I guess, make sure that the costs are lower or that the risk is lower, they can put on those extra costs to the end um, senders. And basically, that's why it can be very expensive. Also, on top of that, um, it's a very over-regulated space, um, especially when you're sending to countries that maybe guess lower on the corruption um, index and things like that. And that's the primary reasons why. Of course, there's like so many other factors that go into that. Um, but the reason why Bitcoin works is because it is a technology which enables you to do faster transfers instantaneously. Um, it's very transparent. And of course, it's secure. So when you have all those elements going into one technology that I guess tick all the boxes, it cuts down costs quite effectively. However, where the main problem is, is that cryptocurrency or Bitcoin is very hard to understand at this current point. Um, and what, that's why I think that it's really important for entrepreneurs in this space to make it as, accept, um, as accessible to people as possible. So, for example, you know, people might drive, but they might not know how their car works. And I really think that that's something yeah, that's yeah, important exactly. for cryptocurrency, yeah. right? It's like yeah. your computer. You don't know how it works, but, but you can it use works it. Yeah, you, exactly, right? exactly. Yeah, I think so, that's a good analogy. Yeah, it's just, I think, the probably where the downfall is with a, of a lot of startups is that it's built by engineers, right? And engineers, they've got a different way of thinking. Their thinking is, well, of course it works because I know how it works. But when you try to translate that to an everyday space, it doesn't translate very well. And it reflects badly on the technology when really it's not the technology, it's just the user experience that has a lot to do with it. So what BitSpark does is that we make sure that Bitcoin is always in the background. We try to make a ecosystem for remittances. So we don't just go, oh, you know, you have to learn part A and we finish part B. We do the whole alphabet for you, you know? Um, and basically we found that it's easier to acquire customers. So our customer acquisition is much lower. Um, it's cheaper for a lot of people. Uh, and the product, when we've tested it with our customers, which are primarily money transfer operators, um, they enjoy the fact that it's an ecosystem because they've actually had, a lot of our customers have had people go up to them um, and try to sell the Bitcoin pitch. 
but they didn't sell them a full product. Um, we sell them a full product where it works just as seamlessly as any other service that they've ever experienced, but it's much cheaper, it's more efficient, it's more compliance, automated, you know, it's everything wrapped into one. Yeah. So would you say TransferWise is similar, but TransferWise has the FX risk? Yeah, I mean, TransferWise did something really interesting because basically they made transfers quintessentially P2P, right? So um, it is quite smart, but I don't know if you read recently, they're having a lot of trouble making their money back. Um, they're not a particularly profitable company. Yeah, so especially in light of the FX risk because, uh, right, so like they only have bank accounts in different currencies and then they give you like the money from a different currency, but then they also they still have to transfer with FX. Yeah, so that the risk thing is you what you're getting you know, is like you're getting vacuums and you're getting these deficits in yeah. these countries of currency and you have to try to convert and you can't always ensure that the FX market is to your liking, as I said, right? But the thing is with cryptocurrency is that you can buy and sell instantaneously. And that's the difference between our platform. If we really want to look at the exact difference, although there are many, the main difference is that we do transactions instantaneously, right? And we don't have to worry about any market, any FX like market or anything like that. We just buy and sell, we cash out, cash in, cash out, and that's it. Cool. Wait, so you mentioned how it's important, um, you know, because the engineer who, um, who do, you know, who creates a system of, uh, of a blockchain technology understands it and so he doesn't understand that uh, everyday people don't understand it. and then you made this analogy so how, how do you think because blockchain is sort of you know it's not going to disappear it's like a it's it's it is going to be even more uh, built on top of the blockchain uh, you know even not just in finance but everything right maybe even going into politics and smart like you know ethereum now with smart contracts so yeah, the opportunity like is huge you know yeah. but I, my impression is like so I have my friend Tom who works on in, in autonomous finance, you know, he tells me how like a lot of people don't get it, you know, people in the status quo. And it's it's very not just because it's difficult to understand, but it's just something very different. And these guys, they, they don't want to accept that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. right. So, so how do you deal with these people? Like, because like the, the shift of mindset. Yeah, because like, you know, it's almost like um, it's like the status quo is so big of the these people who. They don't want, I think it's more like they don't want to understand it or it's it's just like, you know, when you live your life in a certain way, it's difficult then all of a sudden to accept something different, right? Yeah, I mean, you're really kind of highlighting a strong point. And I think, it, you know, a, the change isn't going, it's going to happen, right? But it's not going to happen very quickly. I remember, you know, when Bitcoin or blockchain was first on the scene, everybody was just laughing at it. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, this is never, you know, this is just a joke. It's a Ponzi scheme, whatever. And then what you're kind of getting is people on the outskirts, which perhaps aren't so secure in their finance jobs or whatever jobs going, hey, you know what? This is actually kind of interesting. And you're getting the first applications of it now. So right at the beginning, I'd probably say the first generation of application is with the exchanges. So these are people who it's a niche market. It's primarily people who are going, oh, well, this is kind of an interesting concept. You know, this is, I can make money off this. I can um, arbitrage this on exchanges. I can sell it here and there. You know, there's a personal benefit. And then I think what comes out of that is people going, oh, wait, but there's so much more to this technology. So maybe I can send payments to my friend. And oh, wow, it's so efficient, right? And then what's happening is you're getting this domino effect of, oh, wait, there's more potential to this technology than I initially thought. 
And I have been in so many situations where I'm pitching my idea to top levels of banks and they are just, I would probably say taken aback just because it's so fundamentally different to what they know and what they expect and what they function in. So it can, I wouldn't want to say a threat because I feel as though that's quite a negative word and really it would be an integration but I feel as though there's kind of the believers and non-believers right. and every single day there's, you know, that slow conversion onto, right. you know, the Bitcoin side and how it can actually make life for them better. But yeah, you're right. Like the, it's just fundamentally so different that at times it can be very hard to grasp. Yeah. But how do you deal with, um, you know, there's a lot of um, startups in that space. They sort of cater to banks, mm. right? So um, they provide blockchain technology but it's really just within the status quo. And it ultimately, um, I think blockchain has the potential to replace banks. Um, you know, when I've, yeah. when I've read and talked to like people are very knowledgeable about this. And um, that's very scary for banks because basically it undermines their business model and they have no incentive like to like do anything if they want to maintain their current way of like uh, working, right? So um, how is it like, like when you like deal with these people? Um, you know, you mentioned you have some meetings um, you know, it's, it's, is it difficult to like deal with these, like, how do you deal with these people, I guess? Um, you mean in a business capacity or? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just have to know which battles to win. Um, and I have been in situations where, you know, people have just scoffed at me at the idea of anything. They're just like, oh, well, this is just a trend or whatever. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that it's not just theory anymore, it's in practice. And sure, it's not, not going to be as big because basically last year was just all about theory and now it's in practice and we're, only, we're not that far into the year yet. So really I think it's when the evidence comes that people of that nature would be compelled to understand more. Um, but really I, I do see a difference, like here, at least here in Hong Kong, a lot of people are taking not only a business interest, but a personal interest in this. In mm. Hong Kong, there are a lot of people in high up levels of the banking industry that are leaving for not just blockchain startups, but fintech startups, because they're really kind of, um, they've stopped believing in banks, basically. And it's, it is hard because if you, it's like anybody with two opposing ideas, right? You always want to try to find some sort of consensus and understanding. Um, but when one party doesn't want to understand what on earth you're going on because they've just got their head in the sand, they miss opportunities. Right. So I really try to illustrate that point. It's that if you don't listen to what I'm saying or really try to understand the fundamentals of this business or blockchain or whatever, you're missing out on an opportunity. And even after you've learned something and you still don't think it's applicable, that's fine. But at least you can have a knowledgeable conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... What do you think about Bitcoin? Because a lot of people may say now that, you know, Bitcoin is great, but it's not sort of the ultimate currency, especially because nation states don't really accept it and it's very volatile currency. Um, yeah. Do you see like something, I mean, something else emerging? Um, I mean, for now, really, Bitcoin is still king. Of course, there's Ethereum that's coming up and they're doing very exciting projects on their side. Um, but I guess in my own space and remittances, Bitcoin what we seek is liquidity, right? So we need to find buyers and sellers um, of Bitcoin. And right now, 
Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency has the most liquidity. So that's where the nature of BitSpark, you know, surrounds. And even though we're cryptocurrency agnostic, meaning that we can use any currency, just as long as they have um, the liquidity, I still think it's the most important one. In saying that, what's been really interesting is that a lot of banks are making their own cryptocurrencies. And um, we've actually been contacted about creating a cryptocurrency for a bank to facilitate better cross-border transfers. So basically what you're seeing with banks at the moment is that they're having these sandbox types of, um, yeah, like a, a sandbox. And basically they're building projects internally and seeing if it really works. And, um, you know, I, I really can't predict what's going to be in the future in, in terms of coins, but what I really can see is people um, being able to build a coin that facilitates their mission. So, for example, um, you know, smart contracts, or if I perhaps want to send a coin for a charity, I can just build a coin and ensure that that coin is suited to my personal or business needs. So, I, you know, I really can't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Um, so when you look to the future of uh, blockchain and its possibilities, like what are you most excited about, and what do you see like some of the big problems that can be solved uh, with, with blockchain? Um, hmm, that's such a difficult question. I, I mean, for me, like I, it sounds so silly because I just wrote a post about it today on my LinkedIn. But um, compliance is something that I've gotten very interested in recently. And basically, with any sort of banking system, like whether you're doing just, you know, B2B, P2P or whatever, like compliance is just such an important pillar of doing transfers. And um, basically, with Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, you're able to make compliance automation just so much easier than what already exists. And how you can do that is... First of all, if you do a transaction, it's completely traceable, right? Like you can see it in the blockchain. Um, on top of that, you're able to ensure that the money that you're being that's being sent has not been tampered with in any aspect. Um, but also, whatever you put in the blockchain, that's you can put more than just a value. You can put information in that. Um, so what you're basically creating is a web of information that is mathematically proven to be true. And you're taking the trust out of the transfer. So currently, there is a lot of trust going on, right? And that doesn't, that's not always the perfect way, especially when there's things of value involved. Um, so I'm most excited about how cryptocurrency or blockchain can really improve, improve compliance matters. So, um, you know, as a founder, like, um, or as an entrepreneur, you know, life um, is challenging, right? It's not like a nine to five job. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, have you have you built any uh, have you built any like routines or habits that make you sort of more effective and keep you more stable? You know, because it's difficult, right? Um, yeah, I mean, this has been the hardest thing I've done in my life, and I mean, the the reward is big, right? I mean, that's the why a lot of people do this for me personally i love to do it because it's a constant i'm constantly learning all the time but on top of that while i'm learning i'm able to see i guess what i've built and it's something of substance so that's why i'm in it um 
But my routine is that I have to get sleep, which, as you probably know, is like really difficult to do. But um, I just make sure that I get enough sleep as much as I can. And, you know, I'm my life right now is completely chaotic. But at the same time, there's some form of simplicity in that that I enjoy. And, you know, sometimes I can have a routine. Sometimes I can't. But really, it's about that moment. Um, and seeing how I can kind of shift my life to to yeah. be synonymous with my entrepreneurial life or this journey that I'm going on. Yeah. But what, I, what I'm sort of trying is sort of having a balance between like ser- serendipity and the chaos and getting creativity out of the chaos, but then also having some sort of, um, you know, s- stability and routine. Like um, I, I remember when I, when I saw Jack Dorsey, the co-founder of Twitter Talk, he, he mentioned how in the morning everything is like, you know, schedule and he does his, his stuff, like maybe even meditation and all these other things. And then, and then, and then in the afternoon, you know, he goes around and he talks to people and it's, it's not planned at all. And so I found always like this, this sort of, uh, this balance having both is, is important. Um, but it's so, it's like, it's such a challenge because there's so many things to do, right? It's so easy to yeah. get distracted and, um, so many people and, and, and in, in some way, um, you know, when you have a job, you just do your thing and then, you know, you see your friends. Yeah, but everything's su- segmented. I'm sorry, yeah, it's everything's segregated, right? Yeah. Like everything's, de- like, it's categorized. Like, oh, this is my work block. This is yeah, my, yeah. you know, yeah, you try yeah. to balance your life. But, yeah, but I mean, if you're trying to do something, it's almost like there's like infinite possibilities now. There's so many people and it's like, I, I need even better systems to like track and get like, you know, even like, staying in touch with people like it's hard and and oh, it's so important and and yeah, and lives move so quickly and you know it's crazy and yeah, yeah. So. and i have to tell you that i'm useless at at the socializing the balancing or whatever like for me i'm completely synonymous with my work yeah. and that that can actually create a lot of issues because Obviously, I've given up a lot in terms of like my social life and all this type of stuff. Um, but also, I just remind myself that it's temporary. You know, just because you have this one exact moment and there's all these opportunities and you, you feel the need to fulfill these opportunities and to grasp them, those opportunities will come up again. And yeah, for me, yeah. it's all about being in like the moment and seeing which opportunities I should grab and which ones I should let go and prioritizing them. And I just, I don't know, I guess something inside me just knows that they'll probably come up some other time. But for right now, everything that I'm doing is completely temporary and times just shift. So, you know, maybe in like two years, I'll just focus on socializing or something like that. I think I think about things more in years. I'm like, okay, for the next five years, it's just work, work, work. For five years after that, it's just socializing. I don't know. But I think it's just more exciting to work towards something, to be on a mission, because you're socializing every day with the people you work. In a way, it's not socializing and like chit-chatting, yeah, but my, it's like you, you're my, talking with people. My friends are who I work with, and it's great because I feel as though when you share a passion or a... A purpose. Yeah, a goal, a purpose, then you're really creating solid friendships there. Right, like ones that are gonna really last for life, and I know that with my team now, if 
we ever wanted to do another project, that would be no problem because we know we're like a family. We know exactly what's going on at all times. So I guess it's being able to find family or friends within the circle or the situation that you're in at that moment. Yeah. Um, so like for people who want to learn more about blockchain and the related topics, can you suggest any any resources or, or books that, yeah. that have found, that help, helped you to, to sort of understand this better? Yeah, so um, where I first started, I mean, start with the internet, um, but where yeah. I first started was <laughs> yeah. on Coindesk, and basically they have a informational section, and it just tells you everything that you need to know from what exactly a blockchain is to its future applications and all that type of stuff. And basically, I feel as though there's so much to learn in the space currently. You really have to find something that interests you and it's applicable to your life and just kind of research more about that. And the internet's your best friend, being able to talk to people. Um, and what's interesting about the space is that everybody loves sharing their ideas with one another. It's not a secretive space whatsoever. And people are really up for sharing their ideas, helping people out. So reach out to people that you feel can educate you on something like this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's cool. Uh, so, um, I remember you posted uh, the other day on Twitter uh, something about life philosophies, um, and, and there were so many different life philosophies. And the question was, uh, "What's your life philosophy?" And then I looked at them; it was like twenty different philosophies, right? Um, sort of how people live their life. And I was like, "Wow, it's like I can't choose one." So, like, do, do you have sort of a philosophy or something that guides you in your own life? Yeah, I think. I mean, this sounds a bit pessimistic but I mean my philosophy is that there's no meaning to life unless you make something or like do something out of it so you know I don't really believe in like oh like everything just happens for a reason or you know anything like that I'm more kind of if you're in the situation that you're in you can change it in any way possible and it's really up to you as an individual to be able to push yourself and to like push your mind and your courage to be able to do that and I guess that's what I try to do it doesn't always work Hmm. Like that thinking doesn't always work. Sometimes you need to have another philosophy, but I, yeah, I guess that's kind of my foundations. And um, yeah. do you have any like entrepreneurs or people that sort of you look up to that, you know, inspire you um, and then like help you to, you know, think, think bigger, or, like reach for bigger goals? Is it bad if I say no? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, whatever, you know. I Sometimes, like, not role models, but just, like, you know, like, people you think, wow, they're doing great work, and it's, like, it's something like that, you know. So I think what, what, what inspires you is, like, like you know. Yeah, what, I, mean, I mean, for me, of course, like, I, I read about, you know, those people who have made, like, these huge IPOs, and they're incredibly successful. But I think at this point, I more so identify with people who are in the same space as me and in the same place yeah. as where I am because you know if I can see them keep on going then it gives me more energy to keep on going whereas if I look at like yeah like Elon, Elon Musk, Musk and you I would get depressed all, all the time all I go, <laughs> like I saw him speak when he came to Hong Kong and all I thought was holy yeah shit like I need to get my stuff like I need to get my life together I've, I haven't achieved anything like I really it just made me compare myself um, way too obsessively. So I know that's why I need to stop these interviews because I talk to these people and realize what am I doing? You know, yeah, these guys are doing right? amazing things. Yeah, yeah, and like I've met so many like great entrepreneurs that have just achieved so much in their life, and it 
I think the main takeaway is to never compare yourself, right? Like you yeah. you never want to compare yourself, but at the same time, it's hard not to because you go, oh wait, at like 22, you you know you built a rocket ship, like oh wow, you know, and yeah. like you know, what was I doing? You know, I was dropping out like yeah. then. So yeah. it's it's hard, I think, to really look up to somebody and like identify with them. Um, and so yeah, I try to find people like yourselves, you know, like yourself yeah. that is just keep. No, you can learn more from peers, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you get to have a more personal talk as well. You know, you can't have like half an hour with Elon Musk and understand everything that he's ever done in his whole life and come away with it knowing what to do. Whereas if you have peers that are doing something similar and interesting as you, you're like, oh, okay, well, we can continue this conversation another time. Yeah. So at your startup, how do you guys create a space or environment where, you know, people can sort of focus on the work and you know, where you're critical and give each other feedback and where really the work is the most important thing and where people don't get upset, you know, if some of their work is yeah. not, like, up to this uh, I, I would probably say, like, probably the first six months of starting the company, that was an issue. Um, just because everybody was getting to know each other and knowing where our limits were, how, like, how we think and how we describe things and really, under, like, everybody's like a book, Right. If you know that book well, then you understand how they accept information. And I would probably say the first six months, yeah, that was kind of a little bit difficult. But now it's just not a problem. Everybody knows how we work with each other. And the ultimate thing is that you can find a really strong team. And no matter what fights or anything that happens, everybody understands that the main goal is what it is. And that's the most important thing. And I was actually talking to someone um, a few months ago, and I always thought that the main reason why startups don't work is because the idea is fundamentally flawed. Um, but he was actually telling me that it's because of you know founders' disputes, right? So obviously, if you're working in such close contact with people, you have to really make sure that everybody understands that there's like a higher thing that everybody's working towards and also just be thoughtful you know if it's like end of the day and everybody's like grouchy you don't talk about main stuff then you know you talk about it when everybody's ready to talk about it yeah yeah um so for the, for the past year i lived in and worked in san francisco and compared to the other cities i've lived in before um it's very calm and serene and people are very spiritual and you know places like london new york can be very distracting but there's also some sort of amazing energy that comes like to like living in those cities um so it's like h- how is it in hong kong like uh, because hong kong is similar to london and new york it's like very like i don't want to say distracting but it has all this like these people that's constantly the, moving the, yeah the buzz is real here um and it's just constantly high frequency all the time and it's really because the thing is, you've got all these social events to go to, you've got all these meetups, you've got meetings, all this type of stuff. And it, in one aspect, it it's, gives you so much energy, right? But the thing is, it depends who you are. Like, I personally, if I am doing, like, way too much, I get drained. Like, too many social things, I get completely drained, right? So it's, I don't know, it's kind of, like, it's interesting because I feel like in places where there's so much buzz, so much innovation can come out of that and so much it can really spark a conversation that is you know that you learn so much from 
Yeah. But at the same time, it's it can be so stressful. You can literally feel the stress of the city on top of you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so how do you make sure that you like um, take that, you know, take the the good parts and you don't get too distracted by all that stuff that's happening as a result of like living in this big city? Like as I said, you just have to cut things out. So um, I know some people who they can't say no to an invitation ever. Yeah. It can be an event that's got nothing to do with them, but they cannot say no and. I'm completely different. Like I make sure that I only go to events that, or and I only associate myself with things that I think are going to be helpful to me, because I just know that I'm not very good at handling when there's too much, too many things going on. No. But some other people, they're absolutely fine. They can handle the buzz. They can handle the stress, all that type of stuff. So it's really just knowing your limits. Um, and what are your interests? Like apart, like you know, your work is your main. Um is your main focus now but like as you when you grew up like what were some other things that you know you say you know find something that makes you excited and where you can like uh, put everything in like you know now that we know that you're not into nursing well is there, are there are there other are there other things like like that you, you you know you're really like excited about and you know that you don't have time to like do now or or maybe yeah, maybe those too. those aspects like factor into your work right now you know yeah, there's one big thing that I really miss, and that is paragliding. And I mean, I did paragliding literally two months before I started this. And I did this like amazing course, and I was paragliding every single day and just being like so high up in the sky. And it's kind of strange because you get this adrenaline rush when you're first lifting off, but after that, everything is just so incredibly serene. It's like you're meditating. Um, and then when you go and land, it's a little bit stressful then. But it's basically, it's not something that I've been able to do, obviously, since I started work. And Hong Kong's not the best place to go paragliding. So I'm really looking forward to be able to do that again. But I guess the main takeaway from that is um, just believing in yourself. Because there's a lot of mental exercise that goes into being able to just jump off a mountain with a big paragliding kite above your head so yeah yeah i mean that's something that i really miss doing something i'd like to go back to is um you know remember when you were in high school and you know it was difficult because people you know you were different and people didn't appreciate that and um as a as a result you you, you didn't have sort of the environment to thrive but then after um, high school you, you did right and i think that's such an amazing accomplishment and you know, you, you were saying it, oh, yeah, and then I just moved on and became like, you know. <laughs> but I think uh, it's like at the time, it's very um, it's very difficult when when you're in an environment where people tell you you can't do stuff and when, you know, like, oh, you're this and, you know, you're that identity and you can't really change. And, and then finding that inner strength, and that's very hard, right? And so it's amazing that you're able to do that. Um, so I'm just curious, like, you know, because how did you shift your thinking at, at that time? Or it was just more like, okay, then you moved into new environments and, and that supported that sort of new thinking. I mean, I think you, you, I still have that kind of like lingering idea that, oh, you know, you're not smart enough or whatever. Yeah. Um, but really, I think what happened was I was just letting that paralyze me in everything that I did. And it got to a point where anything that I started, I could not finish at all. So a lot of my courses, I couldn't finish. I was having it, the most simple stuff. I was just becoming really paralyzed. And I think when you get to a point of desperation, you just realize 
okay, I have to like force myself out of this mentality because otherwise I'm just going to be stuck in a padded room for the rest of my life. And I think that's kind of where it came from was just like a place of desperation in some aspects um, and forcing yourself to eventually shift um, to something that you probably internally know that you're not, but your mind just constantly tells you, oh, well, you know, that's like the current pattern. So you're probably always going to be like that. And that's what people think of you. So you're probably always going to be like that. And yeah, that, that was kind of the main thing. Awesome. Um, so like, you know, now you like, you have changed and you've grown in so many ways. Um, when you like, when you have moments, because you know, like doing a startup is very stressful. So when you have a moment when, you know, things are not going well and maybe then you, you know, you have sort of, you think about like how life used to be and like, is there anything you, uh, you know, you tell yourself or do you have reminders that, you know, keep you grounded and, you know, um, because I feel like from my, from my experience, when you operate from a, from a, from a perspective of being more calm and more serene and, uh, being more like doing more things that are you, um, that's where, you know, a lot of power comes from. Uh, and you mentioned that like, you know, you don't like to go to these social events because, you know, just randomly because it just distracts from your work and, is there anything else that you do like that keeps you more grounded? Um, I spend a lot of time with my dog. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the secret. <laughs> yeah, that's the secret. Having like a companion which doesn't talk. <laughs> no, no I, I think just. See, I always knew the solution was easy, but I didn't. I didn't recognize. <laughs> yeah, everybody's different. That you know, you always have like pet therapy. You always hear about yeah. that and stuff like that. But I mean. Um, everybody's different. So for me, I really thrive off being alone and just not doing anything and just being with myself. Whereas a lot of people, they thrive from socializing or anything like that. But no. I mean, I wish I had something more interesting to say other than just... Oh, the dog. The dog is an amazing answer. Yeah. <laughs> I just have my dog and I walk him and all this type of stuff. But it really actually makes you... Caring for something else makes you realize that you, you're not just like completely focused on what you're doing. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to ask you if you could have dinner with anyone, uh, who would you have dinner with? But then you said you don't have anyone you look up to. So like, um, or is there anyone you would have liked to dinner with in history? Anyone like, uh, you know, even like people who are dead. The person I'd have dinner with, not in history. Yeah, I, unfortunately not. But I would like to have dinner with myself, like when I'm way older just so that I can have a little glimpse of my future and see like what I should be doing now. That would be great, even though it'll never happen. But um, yeah, I guess like it would just be interesting, right? <laughs> Wait, what kind of questions would you ask your older self? I don't know, I think the main questions would be like, is everything gonna be okay? Which of course the answer is yes. Cause but, by the way, I think you will appreciate that. So um, at the Harvard commencement, I ran into um, Lloyd Blankfein, the CEO of uh, Goldman Sachs, right? And I asked him like my standard questions of like, uh, what kind of like um, advice would he give himself uh, if he was younger and starting out? And he said like, you know, as a young person, like you're always stressed out and like yeah. you need to have a belief that things will work out, right? Um, and like you said, like life has no meaning un unless you give it a meaning and uh, unless you like... Um, believe in something and then you work towards it and you have the idea that you can change things and 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 I think and then things will be fine because you're working towards making them that way and and even if there's like obstacles in many ways then the obstacle becomes the way and 
you you move forward you know so so it's a it's an interesting question because i you know i i also was like i'm stressed out and but it's so important just to relax and 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 not get too much in your own thinking and like you know crazy and because everything operates from a standpoint of when you're calm i think and that's how it starts you know and maybe that's yeah. why like like you said like you know being by yourself that's probably easier because if you have other people society is very distracting in many ways right it's it's awesome right. but it's also it can be very distracting people give you the advice everybody has an opinion right um yeah everybody has an opinion that doesn't serve your best interest it serves their best interest so i think that's such a important distinction to make um and yeah it's just it's just one of those things like you have to know what fuels you as a person you have to know what's important to you and i know what's important to me very strongly so i don't i never feel any guilt or anything like that it's to say no or disagree with a point that doesn't really i guess like align with what i'm thinking or anything like that yeah well um how did you learn more about yourself like um was it reading books or just uh, sitting down was it talking to people or it's just a process um yeah or was I mean, it like having the dog around, myself. you know? Sorry? <laughs> having the dog around, maybe it was that. <laughs> no, I, I think I've learned um, more about myself just through my work. Like, I know what pushes my buttons. Whereas when I was in university, I never knew, you know, what made me angry. I never knew what made me stressed or anything like that. Like, I had no self-awareness whatsoever. But when you run a business and people rely on you, that's something completely different because you have to kind of step outside of your mental, you know, your, your mental framework and be able to go, okay, well, what can I put aside emotionally right now and just function so that this works? And I think that's really important is to be able to be self-aware of what you're feeling or why you're feeling a certain way and just realize that you're not your emotions. Yeah, yeah, that's my biggest takeaway. So maybe one last question to finish up. Um, what what is, what is one of the, one of maybe the biggest lessons that you've learned since you've embarked, um, you know, on this in this journey with the startup, and like what did you learn? And and then if you think about your future, like you know, since you said life is no meaning until you give it meaning, like how do you think about your future? How do you look to your own future? And uh, what are your like you know dreams or ambitions or just how, how, how do you want to like live your life, you know, from a like philosophical perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that I've learned, and this sounds so, I don't know, pessimistic, but basically don't trust anybody. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> trust yourself and you trust your, your close circle of co-founders. This isn't a work context, by the way, like, yeah. but never trust anybody else for the success of your company never trust that somebody is going to come through with something that they say that they're going to come through with and that's the that's the biggest takeaway is that you there's a certain amount of self-reliance and probably more self-reliance that you have to do um, to make things work and in terms of a philosophy I think just try to give it all you've got like it's not over until it's truly over and even when you think that it's plummeting it's not so it's just kind of being able to keep your cool even in the most stressful times is so important okay well thank you so much thank you for having me i had a really great conversation 
Thank you for listening and see you next time.